The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Pootie, Garage Mahal, love and life. How we're you doing, back. Mate? Yeah, and we're uh, this is this is what they call the winning streak now. Three weeks in a row, right? Yeah, we're back. It's a it's a hitting streak, I think. Hitting streak, very very well. So we're back, and uh, we're uh, we've recovered from not being at the Fight Laugh Feast conference. That was a little sad for all of us, but uh, we've recovered from that, and we're just getting back into the regular routine of things. That includes Rebel Recording, so everybody should be pretty excited about that. We are looking forward to the Church at War conference now, yeah. um, which does have cross-politics Gabe Wrench coming up to speak at. So Yeah, that's November great. 17, 18, and 19. I was about yeah. to advertise it, but it's I think it's sold out now, so... But look for Too the late. videos. On, yeah, look for the videos online. I it, think it sold out like a day though. Yeah, because there was even people from our church that messaged me about it, and I was like, "Oh, here's the link." And then the link took them to a thing that said, "Sorry, it sold out." I was like, "Oh, yeah. sorry." Like, so I I can't remember the. I think it's called the Antichrist Documentary. I we'll fi- we'll fix Antichrist this in, in post. Ru- yeah, Antichrist in his ruin. Well, Antichrist in his ruin is the subtitle of the documentary, but I can't remember what the website is. So maybe I'll look at it while you're talking later on in the episode and I'll correct people, but uh, you can go to the, uh, the website there and they'll have all the conference uh, videos and stuff uh, linked up there. So even if you didn't happen to get tickets, I would definitely say go and take a look at the teaching. It's going to be great. James Coates, Tim Stevens, Jacob Rayom, Gabe Wrench, Aaron Rock. There's going to be lots of uh, great speakers. So oh, are they, get, I, I'm just doing admin on the air here. I yeah. wonder if they're recording it that we could then host the conference again on our own like a week or two later. That's for a good idea. Because there's tons of people. Not that I'm just trying to big up this conference, but there's a ton of people, even in our church, go, that right. wanted to go and aren't aren't able to go. So, like, we know some people who know some people who can pull those strings. Eric, so if you still we... listen to the podcast, <laughs> there's a money making machine here, buddy. <laughs> you better give it to us for free. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, I guess that's true. Yeah, just give me a link. Just give me a link. <laughs> All right, so we are. Oh, and look at this. It's uh, documentary.com. AntichristDocumentary.com. See, I was right. That was that was what I was saying. There you go. So we are kind of in part three of a little mini series that we're doing. And what we thought we would do is a lot of the, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, the influx of people to the church and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's exciting stuff that's going on at the church. It's good. Um, but because this, this podcast is, is primarily for our own people, and we, we know that there are many others who benefit from it, which is fantastic, but it's primarily for our own people. What we have kind of looked at is how some, some people who've come to the church because of the influx of people, because of our stance through COVID, mm-hmm. kind of get met with some of the same criticisms and basically, we broke those down into three different criticisms. We we're going to take an episode for each one. So 
The first one was our church is too political. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how basically I think healthy churches operate like families. And what do families talk about around the dinner table? They talk about what's going on in their lives. That includes politics. So yes, we do talk about politics because we believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ over all areas of life. And when the government is acting in the way that it has over the last couple of years and tries to usurp authority that has been delegated to the church, that we need to get political. One of the lines that Aaron Rock used, I think, quite a bit over the course of the pandemic was, when politicians become religious, then uh, religious leaders need to become political. And I think that holds true. So we kind of responded to that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the second criticism that's often lobbied at the church, and that is that we just have whack eschatology. But generally, people criticize us for our post-millennialism which uh, raises the question about, you know, we're not dispensational, we don't like Israel or any of that kind of stuff. So we responded to that last (laughs) week. We do like Israel, but we don't believe that modern day Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Israel, we like it very much. (laughs) Is that offensive to anybody? I have no idea. I have no idea. It just came to my head. Uh, Okay. And then today we we answer the one that a lot of people have been uh, anticipating because they thought it was even funny that we were doing this topic. And that is, aren't you a cult? (laughs) <laughs> the answer is no, we are not a cult. Chris, are we a cult? A little bit. No, we're not a cult because like, first and foremost, cult like brings a lot of baggage. So like when you, when you say, oh, they call everybody's mind goes to David Koresh, they go to the, um, like, I don't know what the cult was like, you know, you had a Seinfeld, the like sunshine people who were like just <laughs> yeah. absorbing people in. That's not our church. Our church, like people come, people leave. We've had people move away and we're fine with <laughs> we that. We let them. And we, we let, let them, them go. We don't so that, send them with by any definition, Kool-Aid. We're not a cult. We're not a cult. Yeah. But, but what's sorry. interesting is I think that this, like, I, I don't know that we've ever actually been accused of being a cult, but that sort of comes up because our church has been very insular over the last couple of years. Not by choice though. Right. And this is what I was going to say is like, there's been healthy community at the church that's been cultivated and grown immensely over the last couple of years throughout the pandemic. And part of the reason was is because the rest of the world didn't really want us socializing with them, right? So at a time when a lot of our people were losing jobs because of mandates, at a time when a lot of our people weren't allowed to gather with their family or there's division in their family over COVID regulations and all that kind of stuff, they found community in their church family. And on top of that, last winter when arenas wouldn't allow unvaccinated people in, we built our own arena, right? Like we built our own outdoor ice rink. We put up boards, we had kids skating lessons, we had uh, family skates, we had pickup hockey, we had all that kind of stuff. Church family member who put up a barn, uh, actually it's the same family who had that. They put up a, a barn that had ping pong tables and trampolines and indoor basketball courts and all that kind of stuff. So life for the church Saturdays, you'd go to the rink, you'd skate with your family, you'd play in the barn and and all this kind of stuff. We had karate classes going on at the church during lockdowns. Like we had, we had social things going on because that was the only place kids activities ceased. So we did dance lessons for the kids, gym time for the homeschoolers, all that kind of stuff. And so it really out of necessity became a place where that's where that community flourished. And what's interesting about that is like, so I think some people who sought out our church at that time, they got caught up in the community and and a lot of their other friends maybe weren't comfortable getting together or whatever the case is. And so they got very pulled into a new community. And so for some of the people that they had previously known, they're not seeing them anymore. They're spending all their, you know, Sundays and Saturdays and all this time at, at church or with their church family. And so it seemed what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, absorbing, right? Like, like all, all encompassing. Yeah. 
I've used two different kinds of kind of pictures to explain this to people why we're not a cult or or whatever. And the first one is like it seems like you've um, had to do a lot of apologetics in this regard. This is not the first time <laughs> I've had this conversation. But no, like the fir- the first one is like if you remember high school, right? There was a, there was obviously a, a whole crew of people who were all connected, all social, but there was there was still an, an element of people that most people didn't choose to hang out with like it when in my outcast are you about to say we're the outcasts we we are the outcasts in 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 the grand scheme of evangelicalism in ontario we are the outcast church like us trinity we're we're the guys who are getting together to play D &D in in somebody's basement by themselves (laughs) not literally not literally but like but there was that element of people and nobody looked at that small minority of churches and said that they're a cult because they hung out together. They found fellowship with the people who were like them. Right. And so what's happened in evangelicalism in, in Ontario is that most of the popular people, the TGC don't want to play with us anymore. And so what's happened is we found like-minded churches who we've always been in, in community with and the others have broken fellowship with us, not, not right. the reverse. And now we're forced to play with the people who still want to play with us, right? And so what's happened is like we've been forced to do that. So that's the first analogy the, I would use. The other can one I is, interrupt you? Or are you on a roll here with the two no, analogies could, going by? Okay, so I think that's actually a really interesting point. I, I hadn't even thought to go that direction with this episode, but it is interesting because we've talked a lot about Christian cancel culture, right? Our church has been uninvited to several conferences, and and I've been uninvited to speak at certain things because from our friends from friends yeah from from friends because of the stance that we took during covid and so it is very real when you start thinking about what happens when somebody gets ostracized on the playground is they sort of they they form their own little society right like they they form their own little circle of friends and it might be all the riffraff it might be all the the social rejects or whatever but like that sort of has been what's happened is us and and several other christian leaders and churches have sort of been canceled by the quote unquote big Eva of Southwestern Ontario. And so we found each other. And then the other thing is the other way to look at this is, is we, we've all met that family who's huge, right? There's got 12 kids. And what ends up happening is every member of that family becomes best friends with rather than the outside people, they be, they're best friends with each other because mm. they don't need a lot of community around to like give them the socialization. One of the things that you kind of mentioned earlier that's happened at Crossroads over the, over the last few years is that we have grown exponentially, which has brought a lot of people, which has brought a whole bunch of new friends. So like there hasn't been a a big need for us to go to like other churches, community things and stuff like that, because we can, we can facilitate all that internally now. And like you were mentioning, like, arenas, sporting events, all that stuff has been been shut down. Our church just picked up the ball, which is exactly what we've been saying from this podcast forever, that the church, the church needs to be the one providing education, needs to be providing right. all these communities. And like COVID gave us a great opportunity to just accelerate the things that we have always wanted to be right. fulfilling these needs in society. And but it makes us look like we're like super cultish because our homeschooling group, for instance, we let other people from the community come to that last year. The skating rink that was open to the community. There was people who were coming to that, that aren't connected to our church or that weren't um, or that they were, are. <laughs> cause we absorbed them. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like, um, but no, the idea is just like simply, we just became a family onto ourselves right. and it's not because we don't want the neighborhood kids playing with us. It's simply just, we don't need 500 people from another church to come to put a conference on. We have to turn our people away if we put a conference on. It's just kind of a different way to look at it. Like, yeah, it's just I, what happens. There's a great book that uh, Doug Wilson wrote. I think he wrote it recently, but I think it's it was sort of um, stuff that he had written internally for his people years prior, and it was just kind of bound and, and published. But it was a, it's a book 
great title called Gashmu Saith It. And that title comes from uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is doing all this great stuff, rebuilding Jerusalem. And, uh, and this guy named Gashmu <laughs> kind of comes along and, and slanders Nehemiah and says what they're doing is wrong. And, and there's this great line in the, in the King James Version where it says, you know, Nehemiah is basically up to no good because Gashmu saith it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Like if Gashmu says, I guess. That, that's um, one of those book titles that I have yet to recommend that book to anybody. And they not look at me like, what did you just say? Yeah, seriously. And then I have to be like, it's a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, he wrote this book, Gashmu Saith It, and it's about building Christian community. And one of the things that he says in there that I thought was really interesting is he actually said, if you're not accused of being a cult, you're not doing Christian community correctly. And it's interesting because there is a reason that it's a twist of Christian doctrine that leads to cults, right? It's because there are tendencies within the Christian faith that actually lend itself to this. Like we are you know, you kind of forsake family, you forsake country, you forsake these things to come together because you have a greater allegiance now. And I've I've said it before on this podcast where the phrase blood is thicker than water has been twisted by the culture. We use it to say blood is thicker than water as in like your relatives mean more than, well, what? What's the water in that analogy? Where that phrase really comes from is that the blood of Christ is thicker than the water of the womb, which means that we have more in common with our biologically unrelated Christian brothers and sisters than we do with our own unregenerate brothers and sisters who are familial brothers and sisters. So it made me think of when we were thinking about answering this question, the verse that came to my mind is from Acts chapter 2. It's, it's after the day of Pentecost and it says, and they devoted themselves, this is talking about the influx of people who came into the church after Peter's uh, powerful sermon at Pentecost. It says uh, that that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. And then verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you were just to read that to somebody who's outside of the Christian faith, they would hear that and say, "Oh, that sounds like a cult, right? They're selling things and they're they're having things in common." It seemed like a, it seemed honestly like like a bit of a communist commune there there going on, right? Bible does not teach <laughs> communism. I just want to be clear about that. C.R. Wiley's new book, "How to Fight Communism in Your uh, in Your Spare Time," but the point there is that that sounds cultish, right? It sounds insular, but the point was is that they were being knit together. And when you're doing life together with the people that you're studying God's word with and growing together, then it becomes all of those things. You do go skating together and you do karate classes together and you do all these things together and you become a tight-knit family. You're supposed to be doing life alongside the, the people that you're worshiping with. And the other thing that I would just say, and I guess I would say this more to people who have come in the last couple of months, is I have heard from some people who've come to the church more recently that it's actually kind of hard to break into the community. Like it's hard, like it's very welcoming, but like how do you kind of get get in there, right? We have a waiting list right now for small groups. Chris is working on it. Don't worry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, but like how do you break into the community? How do you how do you kind of get to know and, and get into the life of the community and start doing life alongside people? And and I would just say to that, that's not because there's any closeness, right? That I think we're a very welcoming church. My answer to that is get yourself on the waiting list for small groups, right? Come to the Bible studies that are open to all or the social things that are open to all. Get involved in the guess who's coming to dinner stuff that we do every single month. All those things are good. 
But just also remember that relationships are forged in the furnace of trial and tribulation, right? And so this is a church family that walked through lockdowns together, right? Who were ostracized together, who walked with one another, who took up offerings for one another when they lost their jobs. The market that we use to facilitate serving the the needs of the community is a church first ministry. Anybody in the church can come in and avail of themselves of uh, the food that's in the uh, the crossroads market and all that kind of stuff because we take care of one another and hardship came upon people who lost jobs jobs due to mandates and things like that. And relationships get forged in the furnace of walking through trial and tribulation together. And it's been two years of trial and tribulation, right? And this has been the place where some people have experienced a a level of, of normalcy, where they've experienced their only real socialization, their only real fellowship. Like how many times, Chris, specifically during like lockdowns and stay at home orders, did we have people coming to church for the first time and they walk in and for some of these people for a year and a half, they had not seen normalcy. And so they come in and they see crowds of, of several hundred people, unmasked, smiling, drinking coffee together, eating food together, hugging one another, shaking hands. And how many people did you see come in for the first time and just start crying, right? Like emotional, uh, you know, couldn't even kind of get through a service because they didn't realize how inhumane and inhuman the restrictions were. And so coming out and and not realizing how heavy those burdens were until they were out from under them. And so when you experience that level of sort of intimacy, when you just watch people break down because they haven't realized how isolated and lonely and alone they were for a year, a year and a half, it knits you together in a way that accelerates relationships. And I think that's what's happened at the church in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's been tons of people who have cried, and I'm very aware of it because I'm very anti-tears. So like- <laughs> Chris immediately like, gets awkward if you cry. If you cry, I'm, I'm going to feel weird around you for just, it's the way it is. No, but I, no, seriously, that's a, almost a weekly occurrence, yeah. um, particularly in the midst of the shutdown orders when we yeah. were open. Authorities, if you're listening, we are <laughs> Trinity Bible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. Sorry about that. No, but like particularly, like there was there was the common phrase that came up at least once at one out of every two conversations. Like this is where they came to feel normal, right? Because the rest of the world was telling them like you know wear the face diaper, you can't go anywhere, you can't see your family, you can't do anything. Whereas at yeah. church, like we're going through hundreds of cups of coffee an hour, like it's insane, and it's like and. I think you've said it. I don't know if you said it on the podcast, but it's like kind of been a, like a running joke at the church that we make coming to church even difficult. Like you can't park. There's probably no chance that you're going to get a seat the first time you come. Yeah. You'll we, be sitting on the ground. You'll be parking in the ditch. You'll be. Uh, our yeah. our uh, pastoral intern right now, is that what we call him? Has never actually even been in our sanctuary. Yeah. Because he, can't, he <laughs> can't get to the sanctuary because he comes like. So, it's like dude's <laughs> preached at our church. He's never been in our sanctuary because he's only preached when we've been off site. It's crazy yeah. how hard it is even just to like that we've made it just even to come to crossroads because of all the unprecedented growth and all that stuff. But like people don't care because like what you're saying is absolutely true. We've walked through the fires. We're still walking through many different, like there's tons of people who still have chargers hanging over their heads, all that, all that stuff. Um, Including me, (laughs) including our our pastor, all that stuff does is forge us together as a, as a unit. And we often say, if you want to have a unified church, Obviously, walking through difficulty together is one way to do it. The other way is to get on mission. So if you're coming to our church and you're like, oh, I don't feel connected, find a way to plug into what the mission of the church is. Once once you do that, I guarantee you're going to feel connected because here's a spoiler to everybody who's somewhat new at the church. Everybody is somewhat new at at this church. There's only about like... 
I don't know, I won't say a number, but there's a, there's a small percentage that have been here prior to COVID because we're a country church. We weren't a huge church before. One of the directions I kind of wanted to take this so that we're not just uh, kind of defending ourselves against the accusation of being a cult. I did want this to kind of be redeeming. And so I, I thought we could spend the last little bit of the podcast here kind of just talking about some of the fundamental tenets of, of cultivating Christian community, because there might be a whole lot of people who are listening to this and, and, and hearing some of that and just kind of going like, oh, I wish we had that level of community, right? And don't get me wrong, like we are not experts here. We're building this plane while we're flying it. Like we're we're trying to figure this stuff out. So please don't hear what we're not saying. If and that we were, is that we have we were experts, everybody would be in a small group already. Like we're just <laughs> yeah, like, we're literally <laughs> just trying to figure this out here, people. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think that we've learned a lot about facilitating and, and cultivating Christian community in the last couple of years. And so a couple of things that I think are, are really interesting as we're thinking through Christian community, and that is like, number one, as you're cultivating Christian community, you have to make room for non-programmed social times. You can't program people to the point where they're out with church activities five days a week, right? Because part of what creates the level of community and friendship that I think is necessary that undergirds all of this is the doing life together. So one of the things that we did, for example, is the guest who's coming to dinner, and I get it, like that goes in your schedule, it is. Explain what that is, because people who are listening probably don't know what that is. So oh, okay, so yeah. guess, guess who is coming to dinner is basically our church version of blind dates, yeah. except without the like relational aspects. So we, yeah. we basically so send no couples, um, we send couples and singles and a whole bunch, like as a group to somebody's house that they're hosting without knowing who's coming and they don't know where they're going. Right, so you sign so, up either as a host or as a, as a participant and we mix blender it together. Yeah, and it's kind of random. I'm like people don't know who who's coming over for dinner so it's like it's guess literally guess who's, who's guess who's at the door yeah. and reason for that is because churches do have a tendency to get clicky right like you do tend to gravitate and there's there's nothing wrong with having closer friends in the church than ever like not everybody is going to be friends with everybody but what you do want to do is facilitate unity within the whole body so that nobody feels like they're left out or that's that's the cool kids table and that's whatever so these kind of mixed blender events help families get together who might not otherwise get together so can I jump in one please I don't know if you were going here, but I'm going to say it. Anyway. I had no direction. I, I, I had, <laughs> I'm just talking here. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- hoping you're I, th- I think one of the things that COVID changed in people's heads, and like I think this is something we have to rage against going back into this, um, is that the thing that made community so good or at crossroads, and I realize I'm a bit biased to our church, but like is because people in COVID, we were very much the initiators of all these things. So like if you wanted to have somebody over for dinner, you were reaching out to them. It wasn't, you weren't waiting for the church to put on an event. You weren't waiting for like somebody to invite you, you were inviting them. And so I would say for people who have come and are having a hard time breaking in, Open your home. Literally, literally walk yeah. uh, like Sunday morning, grab somebody and be like, I want to come to yeah. come to lunch. There's nothing reciprocates, you know, fellowship and, and community than being the person who's like pushing that thing. So we have a really good friend, Amanda McLean, and like she's new to the church. She's like people probably don't even know it, but yeah. she knows she's, everybody. Yeah. And the reason Seriously. is because she's I like I ask her sometimes, what's that person's name? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously. I do. And one of the reasons she knows everybody because she's like, hey, I know she had a young kid. We have a group on Wednesday that is a mom's play date. Come out you want to have lunch? And it's just like, she's just on all the time doing that stuff. And she's not the only one. There's tons of people like that. Yep. And I would say like, don't sit around waiting for an elder or, you know, Nate or, or me or whoever to like reach out to you, reach out to us, reach out to other people in the church. You'll get connected to people way before you're going to get connected at us. Cause our schedules fill up 
pretty fast. Yeah, one of the things that we did during lockdown, it was, it was a lot easier when, when the church was still smaller, but we tried to have like, we would just say empty seats at our table every Sunday afternoon, every Wednesday night, every Friday night. And, and we kind of earmark those times throughout the week as like, that's our social time. And that, that allows us as a family to, to still, you know, we hold a small group on Tuesday nights and, you know, Colleen and I have date night and we have family nights and, and that sort of stuff. But, but every Sunday afternoon, every Wednesday night and every Friday night, we have empty seats and it's either we invite somebody over or we accept an invitation to go over to somebody else's house. And what we did during the pandemic was like, okay, we, we don't have anybody coming over for lunch today, but we're preparing as if we're going to meet somebody at church that we're going to invite over for lunch that day. You do that. And that's a good way of anticipating because most people don't like like last minute plans. So just plan on having last minute plans, right? And I, I think that that sort of stuff really helps. So we, we did the guests who's coming to dinner. We also did the neighborhood barbecue stuff. So there were a lot of people who were coming because we were the only church that was open in a pretty big geographical region. We have people coming from all over. So we did the church neighborhood barbecues where we picked, you know, four spots kind of geographically northeast, southwest of the church and had regional barbecues where, hey, if you're, you know, pick the one that you're geographically closest to. And I think at the, the barbecue I was at, there was like 120 people at that barbecue, right? Like, so, I mean, obviously. It's a lot of burgers. Yeah, it was a lot of burgers. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mulder, uh, Mulder Beef. So those are the kinds of things that like, don't feel like everything you do at the church has to have a, a kind of spiritual component. Because if you have a church that teaches the word of God and gets people excited about the word of God, those social times become spiritual fruitful times because fellowship nourishes the soul, right? Fellowship around important things that matter, like God's word, God's truth, all that kind of stuff. It does nourish and it, and it becomes a part of church life that you can't imagine doing without. One of the other things that we encourage, but we we actually just have observed too over the last few years is like discipleship happens when like, you know, you're going to throw up like a drywall, just invite somebody over. So like, even if you're not doing something like fun. You can just be like, Hey, you want to come do this with me? So example, a couple of weeks ago, I had two guys come to my house to help me with my, pl I had a plumbing issue. I always have plumbing issues. He doesn't and mean that like, metaphorically, like no. it was actual physical plumbing, like the, the pipes in his house. <laughs> <laughs> in the house, not in me. Um, like, but no, but it was like one of those, like, did I need two guys from the church to come over. I needed one guy who knew what he was doing. And like <laughs> and the somebody, truth is, somebody is I didn't even need to be down heads. there with him because like I did nothing. I held the pipe at one point. He could have done that without me. We had two other guys and what ended up happening is we had a great night of, and it's like, oh yeah, we did some work, but we were really just hanging out. We didn't talk about anything like deep or anything. It was a chance for three guys to do something productive, but we're closer now because we did the thing. And that's just a small little example that we're, but, but if that's happening all over the church, right? Like, you know, Sunday afternoon, come swim. Monday night, oh, I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the Knights game. Want to come with me? Or like, I'm gonna cut my grass. Come, you want to come do that? That's probably a weird one, but I mean, like, <laughs> you want to come and watch me cut my grass, or bring your lawnmower, and we'll got two two lawnmowers at a time. We can double up. It'll be great. I uh, know, but just, yeah. I'm just saying. No, no, no I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, huge, right? and that yeah, for sure. So get involved in each other's lives beyond like the programmed things. The other thing I would say is just get as many of the small groups pointing in the same, same direction as you can. Uh, one of the things that hurts community in a church is when every side ministry is going in its own direction. So one of the things that we did, especially right now, to cultivate unity, to cultivate community, is make sure that all the small groups are going through the same material. We just decided that we do it based on the sermon series. And so I send out my sermon notes to all of the small group leaders after Sunday. Chris does a bunch of questions as he's listening to the sermon on Sunday, sends it all out. 
Every small group leader gets my sermon notes, Chris's discussion questions, and all the small groups go through the sermon. And the reason we do that isn't because my sermon is so great, everybody needs to talk about it all week. The reason we do that is so that everybody's studying the same thing. Everybody's having similar conversations. And then even if you and I don't go to the same small group, which we don't, we can talk about the conversation from our small groups and just say, oh, what did you guys think of this? There was a particularly post-mill sermon a couple of weeks ago. And it was, it was just fun, like talking to people being like, oh yeah, you know, a small group was, uh, was, was pretty interesting this week or whatever, right? Like, and so it does knit people together, even though you, because you can't sit in a living room and go through the Bible with everybody, right? Small groups are a part of the church and only so many people can be in a small group. That's the name, small group. That's one way to cultivate community. So, so get on the same page in terms of, of that sort of stuff. That's, that would sort of be, I guess, principle number two. The other thing I would say is cultivate an internal economy. What I mean by that is, especially at a time right now when inflation is what it is and, and everybody's having a harder time getting by, don't spend money outside of the community if you don't have to. Meaning that if there's a plumber inside the church, call him instead of a, a guy from the Yellow Pages. If there's a realtor in the church, use that realtor. And this seems like no-brainer stuff, but here's where I want to challenge, I think, what a lot of Christians have thought, and that is usually we think, oh, if there's a, a person like this inside the church, then maybe I can get a deal. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is bless the people inside your church family by giving them your business, not by looking for a deal. In fact, I would say instead of thinking like, wouldn't it be different if instead of thinking, oh, hey, there's somebody in the church who does this, maybe I can get a deal saying I'm going to hire the plumber inside the church and I'm going to bless him because he's a Christian brother. I'm going to actually pay him the going hourly rate plus 10% because He's a Christian brother and I want to bless him, right? But what that also does is it creates an internal economy. Like if everybody within the church is, is giving of their time, talent, and treasure to the church, then you're keeping everything inside. You're helping one another thrive. You're helping one another. You're giving one another work to do, all that kind of stuff. Little things like right now we have somebody in the church family who they have been doing the, the custodial work at the church. They now are, are moving on to something else. And so we wouldn't think about hiring an outside service or a janitorial service to do this. So there are people inside the church who you throw it out there. And between all these people, is there somebody who would like to come evenings and weekends or whatever and clean a couple days a week? Maybe it's a stay-at-home mom who's wanting to homeschool her kids. And so that extra little bit of income that she can do after the kids go down, come and clean the church for a little bit. Look for ways to keep the economy within the church bolstered and to keep the money internal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You were staring at me the whole time. I'm just like, who am I shortchanged? <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, Wait. Dave, we don't pay you. <laughs> Conviction. Conviction. Um, interesting, though, because if you ever got to 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and wondered why was it so important that Paul told the Corinthian church not to take one another to court or to settle disputes within the church instead of taking them to outside courts, it's, it's because when you have the kind of community as tight-knit as church communities should— then an internal economy does begin to form. And as that internal economy does begin to form, because this is people's business, it's their livelihood. Sometimes you have church people who go into business together, right? Because they're sitting around, they're chatting, they're getting to know two entrepreneurs get to know each other and they start doing something together or whatever, right? Like now suddenly those kinds of disputes will arise because we're still sinful humans. And so that's where it's incumbent upon the elders of the church to help manage and cultivate and guardrail that internal economy and that internal community that begins to form. It's hard work, but I think that's a good thing because the, the benefits that it reaps are awesome. 
to make this full circle, that all sounds very culty. You know, like like everything, everything everything we said is like it focused in where we want to be in our own education center. We want to be our own community. We want to be our own economy. It sounds culty, but the reason it's not culty is that we, we take care of the body first, the internal body first, so that we're healthy enough to go into the world and have something to bring to them. The church has no business trying to solve your neighbor's problem if you have people in, in the church family who, who are destitute. That's exactly Because right. the body has to be healthy. And so we want to take care of our own family, so to speak, so that we're healthy enough to go outside and help the world around us. In North America, I think that's just something that's lost because we're typically fairly, even the lower income people here are fairly well off on a global setting. This is something I think the church is in different parts of the world and different parts of history have gotten very, very much. Yeah, they're better at um, And like the church in Acts, that's literally what they're, ta- they're talking about. But the reason the objection of like, we want to do all these things internally, it doesn't make us a call. It's because we're doing all this stuff so that we're healthy enough to be the light to the world around us. Well, and so that you have something different to invite your unsaved friends into. Absolutely. Right, like I do think Christian community is an attractive thing. And, and let me just say it this way. In the wake of COVID... There's very little that the world desires more than real community. Like people are relationally starving right now. Mm -hmm. And I think the healthier the community of the church is, it's sort of like if you have a a church that, that makes sure that people within the church aren't needy, they're having their social, relational needs met, that they have community, they're being invited over to places for dinner, they have friends, they have thriving friendships, their kids have friendships within the community, they're educating their kids together, they're doing life together. That's the kind of community the outside world looks at and just goes, what's different about that? That's the whole, they will know we are Christians by our love. Yes, absolutely love for God, but that's actually, that verse is actually in context talking about love for one another. Hmm. To be clear here, oftentimes people say, they will know we're Christians by our love, that's how we love them. No, no, no. They know we are Christians by how we love one another. And then inviting them into experience that brotherly love is part of the gospel call that says, come in and be part of the family. And if you don't have a tight-knit family to invite unbelievers into, here's something that's convicting. Your church relational community ought to reflect the relational community of the Trinity. And that's what you're inviting people into. Physically, you're inviting them into your church community, but spiritually, you're inviting them into experience the relational connectedness with their creator. And the relational connectedness that you feel in communion with God is what actually fuels Christian community within the church body. And so without a healthy, thriving Christian community, then our gospel call loses some of its potency. We don't want to bring anybody in to fix a problem within our in ourselves. We want to be healthy in, in our own body. We want to bring them in so they can enjoy what we already experienced with each other. That's right. And and that, that actually reflects the triune God, because how often have you heard it said that God created us for a community? No, no, no. God was completely content exactly. in his triune nature. There was perfect community, perfect affection. God didn't create us because we're lonely. He created us because of the infinite beauty and enjoyment of his own relational community within the Godhead. He created so that others could also partake in that and that we could view his glory and and partake in it. So there you go. Brought it back to the gospel. Yeah. (laughs) All things do. There you go. You good with that? Beautiful. So ending quote, we're not a cult. (laughs) Answers the question, no. (laughs) Too long, don't read? (laughs) No. Crossroads is not a cult. All right. We'll see you all next time. Peace.